My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And today we're continuing through the uh, 26th 26th chapter, it's always hard to say that, isn't it, of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be picking up from verse 17, and this is just after Jesus has had his feet anointed by Mary, he's been who has scoffed at by Judas, and there is an understanding from Jesus about the importance of what Mary did. But it was the trigger for, G, for Judas to go to the religious leaders, and say, what will you give me if I betray this man? And so now we begin the, the Last Supper. Verse 17. Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the Feast of Unleavened Bread always is what is before Passover. Why? Because the Feast of Unleavened Bread represented the unleavened bread that the children of Israel were called to take out of Egypt. Remember, they were told... Take unleavened bread. Don't take the leaven. Why? Because in the Bible, leaven represents sin and poison. Don't take the sin and poison with you from Egypt into the promised land. Take unleavened bread only. And then that was followed by the Passover. That was where they painted the the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and the, the spirit of death passed over. And then they were able to exit Egypt. And so that's what the representation, Feast of the Unleavened Bread, then the Passover, the Feast of the Passover. This is the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, just to give you the context. The disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When the evening had come, he sat down with the 12. So the Passover was the central act of redemption of the children of Israel in the Old Testament that was part of the covenant that God had made with his children. And Jesus is now providing a new center of redemption that was going to be remembered by a new ceremonial meal. So the Passover meal was what was going to what was used to remember what happened 1500 years before the Passover. Now the new meal was going to be communion. And this is what Jesus is preparing them for. He's about to teach them about communion. Now Luke chapter 22 uh indicates that Jesus had a very strong desire to eat a meal with his disciples before his death. Why? Because he had an awareness that his time was short. So when evening comes, he's with the 12. Now, the Jewish day began at sundown, and it still does. Jesus ate the Passover, and he was killed on the same day according to the Jewish calendar. So David Guzik says this, Jesus ate this at the beginning of the Jewish day, which was evening, where most Jews would normally eat the Passover at the end of the day, which was following the night and in the next morning. It explains why there is no mention of Jesus eating lamb with his disciples at the Passover meal, which is very important, and I'm going to get to why it's important in a second. They ate it before the Passover lambs were sacrificed at the temple. 
This would correspond with John's chronology in the Gospel of John that indicates Jesus was crucified at the same approximate time that the Passover lambs were being sacrificed. Incredible symbolism, very, very important. But it would be wrong to say that there was no Passover lamb at the Last Supper when Jesus had his last meal with his disciples. Why? Because Jesus himself was the Passover lamb. Paul was going to refer to Jesus Christ, our Passover, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, our Passover was sacrificed for us. Isn't that amazing? So, now, as they were eating, verse 21, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he, Jesus, said to him, you have said it. This is where it all comes, this is where it becomes very real right now. Very real. Because they're in the middle of this Passover meal. Jesus makes this astounding statement, one of you is going to betray me. Which would have been so difficult for the other 11 to wrap their heads around. Um, it, it, it's The impact of that statement would have been enormous. It would have been shocking to them. And it would have been terrible for them to even think that one of them was going to betray him. Spurgeon said this was the most unpleasant thought to bring to a feast, yet it was most appropriate to the Passover for God's commandment to Moses concerning the final or the first Passover lamb was, with bitter herbs they shall eat it. So then Jesus says, he who dips his bread with me in the dish. Now, I don't believe Jesus was saying that because there was only one disciple that was going to dip their bread. I think they were all going to dip their bread. And he was just saying it. One of you is going to betray me. And I'm identifying that person as a friend because only a friend would dip their food in the same bowl that I'm eating from. Somebody who sits at the same table with me. And this is an idea which is a fulfillment of Psalm 41. Again, when you look at what was what was prophesied in the Old Testament about Jesus and everything that was prophesied is exactly how it played out. Psalm 41. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. This, this is what was prophesied. And this is exactly how it played out. And Judas says the most... I mean, it's almost ridiculous what Judas says. He says... Lord, is it I? Um, it was actually very noble for the other 11 disciples because they were all saying, well, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? It was noble for them to ask it, but for Judas to ask it, that was the most hypocritical question ever asked of Jesus. And for him to know that he's already arranged for Jesus' betrayal uh, was just incredible. And Jesus says, you have said it. Jesus didn't say this to actually condemn Judas, but to call him to repentance. I, I believe that was his opportunity to come to repentance. And it's fair to assume 
that Jesus, whatever he said to Judas, he said it the same way he spoke to every other person, which was with love and compassion. No matter what Jesus did, he was always motivated by compassion. So, let's move on. Read verse from verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave them, gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Sometime during this uh, dinner, this Last Supper, Jesus washes the feet of the disciple. We read about that in John chapter 13. And then after the washing of the feet, Judas leaves, John 13. Then, then after Judas has left, is when Jesus gives this, this uh, uh, speech, if you like, with his disciples, and then he prays to God the Father as described in John chapter 13. Now, Jesus takes the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. When the bread was lifted up at the Passover, the head of meal, this is what had happened for hundreds of years, over a thousand years, the head of the meal would say, as they were lifting up the bread, okay, the unleavened bread, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. See, everything that was eaten at the Passover meal actually had a symbolic meaning. The bitter herbs record the bitterness of slavery. The lamb was freshly sacrificed for that particular household. The salt water remembered the tears that were shed under Egypt's oppression of the children of Israel. But it was the main course of the meal, which was the Passover lamb itself, that did not symbolize anything connected to the agonies of Egypt. It was the sin-bearing sacrifice that allowed the judgment of God to pass over the household that believed. So, the Passover lamb at the feast of the Passover for over a thousand years was the main course. This is the first feast of the Passover where Jesus himself is the main course. He is the main course. The Passover actually created a nation of people that were a mob of slaves, David Guzik says, that were freed from Egypt and became a nation. And this new Passover now creates a new people, those who are united in Jesus Christ, remembering and trusting his sacrifice. And he says, take it, this is my body, this is my blood of the new covenant. Jesus didn't give the normal explanation of the meaning of each of the foods, which would have happened at the feast of the Passover. He reinterprets them. Now, these people, the disciples, have never heard this before because it's like it's like going and hearing the same thing your whole life whenever you get to the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and you have the day one dinner. The same prayer is said. Everybody grew up. They knew what it, Jesus says all these new things. He reinterprets it. 
And the focus is now no longer on the suffering of Israel and Egypt and them coming out of Egypt. It's on the sin-bearing suffering of Jesus Christ on their behalf. And this is how we remember. This is why Jesus said, it's so important when you take communion, remember what Jesus has done for us. As you eat the bread, remember how Jesus was broken. He was pierced. He was beaten for our stripes, for our redemption, or with stripes for our redemption. And as you drink the cup, we remember his blood, that his life was poured out at Calvary for you and for me. That's how we have our relationship with Jesus Christ, because his redemption reconciles us to God. We can now have a meal with Jesus, and we can enjoy each other's company. So... This is my blood, this is my covenant. Jesus announces a new institution called communion. It's a new covenant that it represents. No, nobody that was just a man was allowed to institute a new covenant between man and God. Only God could do that. And Jesus is God and he comes to earth as a man. And he had the authority to establish a new covenant sealed with his own blood this time, not the blood of a lamb. He was the lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. Remember what John the Baptist said when he saw him in the wilderness before all of his ministry. The old covenant was sealed with the blood of the Passover lamb. Exodus chapter 24, the new covenant that you and I enter into with Jesus is sealed by his own blood. And the new covenant represents a transformation and it concerns a transformation that cleanses us from all sin. Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, the, the, the prophet Jeremiah, for talking about the Messiah. For I will forgive their sins, their iniquities, and their sin I will remember no more. This transformation puts God's word and will into us. I will put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts. This covenant is all about a new close relationship with God. And we can say that the blood of Jesus made the new covenant possible, but it also made it something that we could stand on forever. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, you and I can have a new covenant relationship with God. But unfortunately, a lot of followers of Jesus Christ don't live as if Jesus did this on the cross. They don't, they don't live as if, as if there's any uh, inner transformation in their lives. They don't live as, as if there's any true cleansing from sin. They don't live as if the word of God is actually in their hearts. They don't live, live as if they have a new relationship with God. Why is that? That's because they don't pursue relationship with God. That's why they don't really read their Bible. It's why I'm doing these videos. It's why I'm doing these podcasts so that people can have an understanding of the word of God and rightly divide it so that you can enter into the fullness of the relationship God wants to have with you. Jesus said that his blood was shed for many. Spurgeon said, in that large word, many, let us exceedingly rejoice. Christ's blood was not shed for the handle, hand, hand, handful of apostles alone. There were but 11 of them who really partook of the blood symbolized by the cup. The Savior does not say, this is my blood which is shed for you, the favored 11. No, he says, this is my blood which is shed for many. Now let's talk about when Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, because the precise understanding of these words from Jesus have been the great a great source of theological debate and controversy among Christians for 2,000 years. 
The Roman Catholic Church holds the position of what's called transubstantiation, which teaches that the bread and the wine actually become the physical body and the physical blood of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther held the idea of consubstantiation, which, treats, which says that the, the bread remains bread and the wine remains wine, but by faith they are the same as Jesus' actual body and his actual blood. John Calvin taught that Jesus' presence in the bread and the wine is real, but only spiritual, not physical. Zwingli, he taught that the bread and the wine are significant symbols that represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And when the Swiss reformers got together about 500 years ago and they debated the issue with Martin Luther at Marburg, there was this huge contention. This is when the split between the Roman Catholic and the Protestant church happened. There was this huge contention and Luther insisted that there must be some kind of physical presence between Jesus because and, and, and his, the, the, the bread because he said, this is my body. And Zwingli replied and said, Jesus also said, I am the vine and I am the door. But we understand what he was saying. Luther replied, I don't know. But I know that if Christ told me to eat dung, I would do it knowing it was good for me. Luther was so strong because he saw it as an issue in just us believing simply the words of Jesus Christ. And scripturally, what we can understand is that the bread and the cup are not just mere symbols. They are very powerful symbols and pictures for us to partake of, to enter into as we see the Lord's table as the new Passover meal, as we see the communion. Um, I don't believe that the, the bread and the wine is actually becoming the real body and blood of Jesus. But what we must understand and we must believe individually is that these are the words of Jesus. And regardless, I don't think it makes any difference what you think and believe in that moment. What I think makes a difference as you take that bread and the wine in the moment is your understanding why Jesus said, take this bread and take this wine. If you understand the why, then what they are, which is up for debate and people still like to debate about it, and, and you can come to different conclusions, uh, is not important. I don't want us to be sidetracked by the debate of, of that. What I want us to be focused on is what Jesus said. Understand without my body being broken that you can't be redeemed. Understand that, that, that no longer should you eat unleavened bread. Now you eat my, my bread. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. No longer shall you drink uh, or shall the blood of, of the Passover lamb be the one that protects you from, from sin and death. Now it'll be my blood. So when you take this, remember my blood. Now, uh, we have to remember what Jesus told us to do with the bread and the wine, which is you have to take it and you have to eat it and drink it, which means that it's never forced upon anybody and you actually have to receive it. Eat means that it's vital for everybody. You and I know that without food and drink, we can't live. Jesus said without him, we can't live eternally. It means that we have to take Jesus into who we are. We must eat for ourselves. You can't eat for somebody else. You can't drink for somebody else. Jesus said, John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. So that means everybody has to eat the bread, drink the wine, and understand that it's a personal relationship for them with Jesus. So Jesus then gives thanks. Now in the Greek language, the word thanks that's used here is the word Eucharist, 
which is why the commemoration of the Lord's table is sometimes called the Eucharist. And it tells us of something uh, about Jesus' own attitude and heart in this moment. Bruce says this, Observe, Jesus was in the mood and able at that hour to thank and praise, confident that good would come out of evil. In Gethsemane, he was only willing or able to submit. This tells us about how we're meant to approach communion. Maya said this, What then do we mean when at the supper we lift that sacred cup to our lips? Are we not saying that by that significant act, remember thy covenant? Are we not pledging ourselves to him as his own? That's how we should be thinking it, about it. I'm remembering the new covenant that Jesus made for me and that allows me to be God's own. Um, Jesus said, until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom, Jesus looked forward to a future celebration of the Passover in heaven and one that he has not yet celebrated with his people. And he's waiting for all of his people to be gathered under him. And then there's going to be the marriage supper of a lamb, uh, Revelation chapter 19, which will be the fulfillment of in my Father's kingdom that Jesus longs for. So it leads us to an observation today. Is Jesus your main course? Is he? Because if he's only your appetizer, and if he's only your dessert, then he is nothing. He can only be your saviour if he is the main course, if he is the lamb, if, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's not all the, it's not, it's, it's not the things that are around Jesus, it's Jesus himself that makes the difference. You and I can only have a relationship with God because of the lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. And I think that we have a great time, particularly when we, we get to Easter each year, we have an opportunity to remember that Jesus' body was broken for you and for me after he made a decision for you and I in Gethsemane. And his body was not just broken, but his blood was poured out. And Jesus is talking about this here as he's having the Last Supper, telling the disciples about how this is all going to play out. And I'm sure some of them still didn't believe it, that it was all going to play out. They didn't understand. But Jesus understood. He knew exactly what was going on. And Judas also knew what was going on. Because whilst all this is taking place, he's running off to make sure that the betrayal goes according to plan. So, observation, as I mentioned, Jesus, the main course. Stop making him an appetizer and dessert, okay? How about you make him the main course? There you go. That's my observation for you and for me today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for... Jesus, your, your determination, your utmost determination to fulfill the will of your Father in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.